This is episode 79 of the Ottawa Podcast. My name is Keegan Ahn. I'm sitting with Rob Attrell, Amon Bashir, and our guest today, very special guest, Mayor Jim Watson. How are you? I'm great, but I'm, I realize this is episode 79, and I didn't make it into the, the first 78 oh, yeah. episodes, so oh, yes. obviously you're scraping the bottom of the barrel. <laughs> if, so if thank you for having me on the close if, to 80th episode. Absolutely. <laughs> If it helps, when we first sat down, we we wrote up a pilot episode and we, we made a list of prospective guests. And of course, you know, being people who weren't as involved in the community, the first thing we did is we, we wrote down a net, our network of friends. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we had one long-term guest that we wanted on this podcast. A dream guest. Dream guest, if you will. Justin Trudeau? No. <laughs> Mayor Jim Watson. Wow. Yeah. Your so, worship. Well, <laughs> we, glad uh, to finally make it to the big time. Yeah. Thank you. Appreciate it. We're did, done. We're done after this, I guess. Well, the <laughs> second on the list was Tom Green. But yes. uh, that's yes. that's kind of a, a pipe distant dream. second. But it's second important half. to say that he was actually number two on the list. Yeah. Yeah, number one, we share the same birthday, Tom Green. Really, by, oh, July thirtieth. Oh, that's right. Are. Not yep. bad. <laughs> and another famous Ottawan who was yes. a singer, Paul Anka. Paul oh, wow. Anka, July thirtieth. Okay, yeah. oh, fantastic. fantastic. Different yeah. years though. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I imagine. Yes, I'm much younger. No, of course, yes. Yeah. Today on the show, we are going to be drinking some root beer. Is that correct, Rob? Yeah. Uh, this was your special request, or at least uh, your team's special request, and you don't drink beer very often, and so we got Not the very often, thing. yeah. We got Harvey and Vern's, which is a great oh, local, you. there you go, a great local company uh, that right. is uh, owned by the Kitchissippi Beer Company, right. which oh, I, I think is uh, one of the original craft beer uh, makers mm-hmm. in an industry that's just exploded in Ottawa and throughout Ontario. I think there's yes. like 20 yeah. or 30 craft breweries now in ottawa that's true and uh yeah i don't drink a lot of uh beer but uh root beer is uh, is great and right. uh cheers we love to drink yeah. this now oh yes, yeah please. <laughs> yeah i i honestly don't know too much about uh <clears throat> we know a lot about kitchissippi because we've sampled several of their beers they've actually given beer to the show for us to try but uh yeah yeah, it's this, yeah, it's it's manufactured, I think, in the same operation in the west end of the city. Yes, yeah, right. and it's a great success story. Paul Meek actually tonight. We're taping this on uh, Thursday uh, or um, uh, what is November it? Tuesday. 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 Tuesday yeah, it's all a blur because yeah. tomorrow's a holiday. Yeah, yeah. Remembrance sure. Day. Yeah. Yes. But uh, Paul is one of the recipients of the Order of Ottawa, which right. is a oh, ceremony great. that we started a few years ago, and he's a great success story that really helped. Uh, you know, start the craft beer industry in, in mm-hmm. Ottawa and has done very, very well for himself and is a great contributor to the community. They were one of the original sponsors of the Ottawa Champions baseball team. Yes, right. They're in a lot more uh, pubs. You see their their taps all over the place now, and uh, yeah. he's created a great uh, homegrown business. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's great. So we'll do <coughs> that throughout the episode. Yeah. yeah. Great. Uh, so the way we like to start off the podcast is we like to learn a lot about our guests background so could you give us sort of a brief synopsis of sort of how you got to where you are so i know you've been through obviously you know being mayor previously you you had your time with the federal public service uh on on provincial public service and obviously now municipal could you just give us a brief uh sort of rundown sure yeah i uh you know i grew up in a a little town in the laurentians called la chute quebec Uh, Mm -hmm. nothing much happened in la chute quebec uh, about a population (laughs) of eight thousand. And uh was there till grade nine. Then my father was transferred. We moved to Montreal. Then he was transferred again. We moved to Toronto, uh, transferred again, and moved to Sarnia. So I ended up going to 
four high schools in five years, which was uh, oh, wow. a little bit uh, yeah. of a challenge. Yeah. And decided to come to Ottawa to study uh, journalism and communications at Carleton University. So I had no family or connection with Ottawa. I arrived here as a first year student, uh, lived in residence, uh, really enjoyed my experience at, at Carleton, got involved in student politics there and, mm-hmm. you know, writing for the school newspaper. And um, my goal was to become a journalist, and I wanted to be a newspaper columnist or reporter. And I did that over a number of summer jobs and uh, really liked it, found that you could have a pretty positive impact on the community. You could use the vehicle of the media as a a way to uh, affect change for the good. And uh, I graduated, and there were not a lot of journalism jobs on the horizon because a number of daily newspapers had folded a few years earlier. There was an Ottawa Journal that folded, the Montreal Star and the Winnipeg Tribune. So there's this glut of really talented journalists that were out there, you know, uh, taking up these jobs. And um, I ended up getting into the the federal public service, uh, eventually got onto Parliament Hill, uh, became the director of communications for the Speaker of the House. And I really enjoyed that. It was a fascinating Environment. You were in a nonpartisan office in the most partisan place in the country, the House of Commons. So right. <laughs> it was a, a great experience. I did that for about six years. And what sparked my interest in municipal politics was, I think it was in 1989, uh, I bought a house. I was renting up until that point. And sure. even though you pay property taxes through your rent, you don't see a property tax bill from the city. It's no. all blended in with your rent. Oh, okay. And uh, when you become a homeowner, all of a sudden you see a property tax bill. <laughs> yes, yeah. And I got my first property tax bill and thought, this is a lot of money for a relatively <laughs> small house in, in old Ottawa South. Right. And so I started really paying more attention to municipal politics, even though I was working on the Hill and was focused on federal issues uh, because I was a homeowner and uh, I quickly became uh, disillusioned with what was going on at City Hall and we also had at that time a regional government and I decided you know instead of sitting on the sidelines I'm going to run and a lot of my friends thought I was a bit nuts to do that because I had a great (laughs) job and very uh, well paid but uh, I felt very passionately that I thought I could do a better job than our current counselor and got some friends together and put a campaign together and was lucky enough to to win. So I guess I was, uh, I think, 28 years old then and uh, got elected and then got reelected in 1994. And mm-hmm. then I decided I was either going to move up or move out. I didn't want to stay as a councillor in perpetuity. So I ran yeah. for mayor and became the last mayor of the old city of Ottawa. And uh, oh yeah, and that was uh, probably before most of you were born. I, I go into schools now and I say, "Oh, I was mayor back in '97," and they look at me. I was one, you know, or I wasn't born then. So my claim to fame back then was I was the youngest mayor in Ottawa's history, and I'm and now with the new city, I'm still the youngest mayor of Ottawa's yeah, of course, history. Yeah. Right. So um, not the best mayor, but the youngest. <laughs> And after, you know, being there at City Hall for nine years, I thought it was time to move on. The city was going through an amalgamation at that point. And uh, I got appointed uh, by uh, Prime Minister Chrétien at the time to head up the Canadian Tourism Commission, which was a crown corporation. Right. And so I, it was a great job. I, you know, I got to market Canada as a destination mm-hmm. as, as for tourists around the world. We had offices in 15 countries. And oh. I really enjoyed the industry, the people. 
uh, didn't, wasn't crazy about all the travel, uh, ironically enough. Everyone thinks, oh, you get to travel. I said, once you travel too much, you know, it's no longer novelty or fun. <laughs> right. And, and some of that travel was after 9-11, which, you know, oh, obviously yeah. everything was, was much stricter and, and yeah. so on. Mm-hmm. I did that for a few years and I got lured back into politics to run provincially in Ottawa, West Nepean. Right. And was elected as the MPP in 2003 and then re-elected in uh, 2007. Right. And then um, I was a minister in three different portfolios, which was very enjoyable. But I missed uh, the municipal scene because I found it a much more practical level of government. It was more pragmatic. You could actually do things as right. opposed to just sitting around talking about it. Mm-hmm, sure. So I um, came back, ran for mayor in 2010, and was successful, and then re-elected in 2014. And here I am today. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. So that's my resume and... Two minutes. Oh, absolutely. That's fantastic. <laughs> Left out a few things, but th- those were the highlights. Sure. No, no, that makes sense. Uh, I'm 28 right now, and I have not accomplished nearly no. as much as you did when you were 28. <laughs> <laughs> I think but you, you could... have a podcast. I didn't that's have a podcast. True. Yeah, that's true. I guess <laughs> so. It was a different time. <laughs> yeah. One of the things that was interesting is that uh, you know you, you speak to the um, sort of the issue you had with the property taxes back then, and when you became counselor the first time. Did I read something about uh, uh, either a salary freeze or giving back a bonus or something to that effect? Yeah, when when the um, the, the city and regional governments were sort of divided up, um, I was given a severance pay, um, or we were given an increase, right. I think, in our salary for an adjustment of some sort, and I didn't feel that was appropriate, so I gave my my salary increase away to three or four different charities. You know, I think fifteen hundred dollars to you know, times four to, to four different charities. Like I remember one was the food bank and the snowsuit fund. Because sure. in principle, I didn't feel it was it was appropriate. And then when I left as mayor, the first time I was entitled to a severance of um, $30,000. And I oh. didn't feel it was right because I was going into another government job, even though right. legally sure. I was entitled to, to do it. And it was a different level of government. And so I gave that money to the union mission uh, for oh. men because I thought they could use it better than I could. And um, I, on principle, I didn't think you should leave one government to go to another government and get a severance check. Sure. So, and and that, that's admirable. Uh, obviously, I think we all agree. Yeah. Uh, I, what I'm curious about is what were the reactions like? Not not necessarily from the public, of course. I, I don't I, I don't think anybody in the in, in sort of the public eye will will think that. You know, there's something wrong with that, but yeah. your colleagues, for example. Well, you know, some of them weren't that keen on it because it put pressure on them. Yeah, to yeah. Have and that's to, what I'm saying. To give their severance <laughs> away, but I, I wasn't that's, trying to, you know, poke them to do it. I just felt in principle so. that it was the right thing to do, and I thought the union mission that was going through an expansion uh, of their own and they needed the money could could use it better than yeah. than I could, and mm-hmm. uh, I thought it was a good investment keeping the money locally as well. Absolutely, right. no, that that's admirable, as, as I yeah. said. Uh, Mayor Watson, I imagine being mayor is such a, a busy job, and it sounds like you've had very uh, busy schedules in the past. Uh, do you ever look ahead to the near future, maybe the distant future, uh, and have and uh, imagine what you're going to do with some some uh, some downtime, or what what you're going to do when you are <laughs> yeah, done being mayor? Yeah, that's a good question because mm-hmm. I think I I would go stir crazy because yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I enjoy keeping very busy. Right. Okay. And um, I think that, you know I'm at the point where I wish uh, I did have you know an occasional down period. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like on a fr- I don't like Friday night events. I like to sort of you know recharge the batteries on a Friday night because yeah. you've been working 
Monday to Friday. And then in many ways, I have a second job on the weekend and it's all the community activities that I go to. So mm-hmm, like, you know, there'll yeah. be one Saturday, I'll be at 16 events. That was my record wow. a couple oh, of years man. ago. Lord. Most other days, you know, maybe eight or nine or 10 different events on a Saturday, then five or six on a Sunday. Mm-hmm. So Friday nights, uh, I like to sort of just relax, either, you know, go out for dinner with friends or just, you know, crash and watch TV. And yeah. then the other night I like off, but I don't get it off that often are, are Sunday nights. Uh, just really to watch, uh, Madam Secretary and the Good Wife, <laughs> uh, and 60 Minutes. So, you know, three okay. shows back to back on sure. CBS and, uh, finish it off with watching the news and, and going to bed. So, um, I think probably, you know, when I leave this job, um, I'll either have to have something really busy and equally busy to keep me busy, or I'm going to have to learn to, uh, relax. And, you know, one of, one of the challenges I've always found is that I don't have a, enough of a, a life balance. You know, it's like mm-hmm. I run into a friend I haven't seen in months. And, you know, why haven't I seen you? Well, you're too busy. And right. So I've, I've got to do a better job. And maybe that's my perpetual New Year's resolution to go and say that, you know, <laughs> I need to carve out some time just to stay connected with friends and family. Because I, I find that you, you end up uh, living and breathing the, you know, the work and the office and, and your colleagues. And I love the people I work with. But uh, you neglect your family and friends, and, and mm-hmm. I've got to do a better job of that. You know, yeah. I think when I, I I broke my pelvis snowmobiling this year, I, it right. was a chance to regroup with a lot of friends, you know, because I was sort of right. immobile, and they came to visit me, which is oh. nice. <laughs> uh, so I, I could catch up that way. But I, I need to do things like, you know, I, I rarely have people over for dinner at my house. You know, one, because I don't have a lot of free time. But secondly, mm-hmm. I'm not a very good cook. Right. But, you know, I did have some friends over for dinner two months ago, and it was great. It was yeah. like what normal people do, you know. They right. bring friends over yeah. and you enjoy and you chat and gossip mm-hmm. and everything else. But uh, i got to be able to find some of those those days. Yeah. The challenge I have is that you become a, a victim of your own accessibility. You know, it's like, well, invite the mayor. He'll go to, you know, the opening of an envelope or, you know, oh, yeah. he'll go to <laughs> right. this, he'll go to that. Uh, and to then the you podcast, build up this yeah. reputation. <laughs> yeah. But it's, you know, the, the challenge is last year, I think we got something like 5,100 invitations and yeah. I was able to do sort of 2,400 and then the deputy mayors were able to do 900 and counselors a couple hundred and then sure. some you just couldn't go to. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, even even twenty one hundred. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> now really that's is. you know that includes yeah. meetings. Almost seven a day, I think. Uh, if you work out the average. Yeah. Oh, it's, it, well, you know, and like on weekends, as I say, it's not uncommon to have oh. sort of you know fourteen or fifteen different, right. different things. Yeah. And yeah. and for anybody who follows you on Twitter, can see uh, you you usually I think announce at the beginning of the yeah, day. Yeah, I try to do that every yeah. morning, just mm-hmm. sort of let people know it. It's more mostly because. You know, the press want to know where they can catch up with you and so on. It's easier to do it on Twitter than sending out a media advisor or something yeah, like that. Yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> and, and of your engagements that you do on the weekend, are there any that you um, prefer or maybe don't mind as much? Like I, I know I saw you at a Red Blacks game once. Yeah. Is that uh, something you enjoy doing? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously uh, something like that is fun. You know, yes, yeah. or Saturday I was at uh, Lansdowne a couple of times. There was a Maker Fair. Mm-hmm. which was really amazing. It must have been a 1,000 people in the Aberdeen Pavilion, and it was yeah. uh, great uh, energy and synergy and ideas and creativity, which was you know a fun thing to go to, even though it was part of you know my routine to, to yeah. go there and speak and present them with a plaque and so on. But um, I, you know, I, I actually enjoy, it sounds sort of funny, but I enjoy going to church bazaars, and I go to a lot oh, of yeah. church oh. bazaars because mm-hmm. it's a good way to stay grounded and connected, but it's also yeah. a way I, you know, to help the church or... 
or the, uh, the you know, the, the synagogue or the mosque to, mm-hmm. uh, you know, help them out financially by buying some, you know, cookies and butter tarts and stuff. And yeah. I just bring them into the office on Mondays or I bring them around to, uh, uh, as Christmas gifts. And so I put them in my mm-hmm. freezer. So, you know, I like doing those and, you know, I have, um, a comfort level that people, or they, people have a comfort level. They, they feel open to come up and talk to me, you know, give me a comment about, you know, snow plowing or something wrong in the park or, you know, what we're doing right or wrong. And sure. I like that. It's a good way of staying in touch with the public because sometimes you can get trapped in, you know, your surroundings, the pretty nice office and boardroom and yeah, right. fancy yeah. digs. And, and, you know, you, you have the same usual suspects always coming to city hall. Yeah. Whereas, you know, what goes on here that might, we might think is the biggest issue in the world. Right. Doesn't resonate out in the community. They couldn't care less about it. So I, I wish, you know, more politicians would spend more time out of the office than in the office. That makes yeah. sense. Okay. How often do you find yourself reading, uh, you know, Ottawa newspapers or, 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 you know, like catching Ottawa news? I know you're talking about 60 minutes, but yeah. just like it, it's one thing to, you're obviously very engaged in the community. I'm just curious. Yeah. You know, I read, um, you know, the, um, the four daily newspapers in Ottawa every morning. Mm-hmm. Do you? And, you know, flip through. I don't read them cover no, to cover. No, of course. <laughs> Even taking a look. Good, yeah. Good, Cause, you know, I read Le Dois and The Citizen, yeah. The Sun and Metro. And, yeah. uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of the weekly and monthly community newspapers like yeah. the Glebe Report and Vistas and Alta Vista yeah. and so on. And, uh, they're great because it gives you a sense of what's going on right at the grassroots neighborhood level. Right. Um, you know, when I first got into politics, I was uh, probably like a lot of rookie politicians, you know, consumed and obsessed with the media. Mm-hmm. You know, oh my God, you know, someone wrote something bad about me or a letter right. to the editor. Right. And I've really developed a much maybe thicker or more sensible skin that it doesn't bother me as much. Right. Um, you know, it's still like you, you have someone write something nasty about you. Of course, you, it's going to bother you to a certain degree, mm-hmm. but it, sure. it's not as uh, big a deal. And I think, you know, unfortunately... And I say this as someone who, you know, is a supporter of democracy. Uh, the weakening of the media and, and the, the impact they have is so much less than it was when I first started. You know, if someone wrote a column today right. blasting me, it's sort of, you know, well, you take it in, read it, you know, maybe agree or disagree and then move on. Yeah. Whereas in the past, um, columnists, I think, had a lot more clout to affect change and and push politicians in a certain direction. And mm-hmm. I don't find right. they, they have that clout anymore because yeah, right. I think, you know, there's fewer media outlets. Uh, there's different media outlets like this is, wasn't heard of back when I first started. Right, you know, right. Twitter wasn't around back when I started. So I think, you know, the media has, uh, suffered and you see the layoffs that take place in traditional print and radio and television. Right. Mm-hmm. Sure. You know, as a politician, you could say, well, that's good for you. But, you know, it's good for us because, you know, well, we can get away with whatever. You know, <laughs> we don't have the scrutiny. Yeah. But it's bad for democracy when you have, you know, too much media concentration. You know, look yeah, at today, yeah. the Citizen and Sun are owned by the same yeah. yes, publisher right. and mm-hmm. uh, four radio stations and two television stations in one building in, right. in downtown Ottawa. Yep. So there's a lot of media concentration and not as much scrutiny, which is not a great thing from a democratic point of view. Yeah, right. Good point. Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of uh, some big things that have been happening around Ottawa over the past few years, and even currently, um, just wondering, I know we, we don't have a lot of time left, but if we can gather quick thoughts of yours, for example, uh, Lansdowne Development, uh, that was a 
seemed like a passion project of yours, yeah. uh, at least for a period of time. How do you yeah, find I, I'm very pleased with how Lansdowne's turned out. And if you look at what's happened to the sports teams, you know, the, oh, the yeah. Red Hitting. Blacks are in first place. And, uh, and obviously the Fury are on their way to the finals yeah. uh, uh, in New York City. Yep. Uh, the 67s are, are doing well. Uh, I think it's become a great success story because you have to look at it. It's not perfect and there, there's, you know, some challenges with it. But I think when you look at what the alternative was, it was basically 36 acres of asphalt, rundown buildings. And the only reason you came to Lansdowne is if you had a ticket in your hand to yeah. go into a, a, a sporting event or a trade show. Right. Uh, that's all changed now. You can go to Lansdowne. You don't need a ticket. You can go to a restaurant, a bar, a shop. There's, uh, acres of green space. There's an apple orchard. There's a kids' playground area, skateboard park. Yeah. Um, the heritage buildings, Aberdeen and Horticulture, are still owned and sure. operated by the city. So it's become a real destination, okay. and I think it will uh, evolve and grow. There's still a couple of spots that have to be filled up in the office tower and, and a couple more retail spots. Mm-hmm. But I think it's a, a vast improvement. Agreed. And, um, you know, we were losing something like $4 million a year on Lansdowne. So it's nice to stop that financial bleeding right. as right. well. Yeah. Interesting. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, another topic, uh, LRT. It's, it finally yep. got off the ground, let's be honest. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, one of the things I, I um, someone came up to me in Stittsville the other day and they said, you know, I like the fact that you and your council get things done. You know, you may not always agree with the substance of what we're doing, but at least we're getting it done, yep. you know, because for years, Lansdowne was a political football back and forth, tear it down, build it up. What are we going to do with it? Mm-hmm. And then uh, light rail transit became a real uh, hot potato. And we lost, you know, four years of work when it was canceled, yeah, the north-south yeah. route. Right. And then we, um, you know, got into legal squabbles and fights with the federal government. Right. We've got shovels in the ground, which is uh, significant. The tunnel is 60% complete. Uh, the project's on time, on budget. It's going to open in, in mid-2018, yeah. 13 kilometers. And right. then we've already started working on phase two, which will go farther east to Place d'Orleans, farther west yeah. to, to Bayshore Shopping Center in Algonquin, and farther south to, to Riverside South Bowesville. So right. it's something I'm very proud of, and yeah. it's, uh, it, it is going to help redefine the city and our transportation patterns and where Agreed. people will be able to live and yep. and work and and shop and uh you know even those people who never will you know enter a train or a bus will benefit because it'll be fewer cars on the road which will yeah. help with the congestion on the Queensway and Baseline and Carling Absolutely. and St. Yeah. Joseph and everywhere else yeah. sure mm-hmm. and uh you don't have to comment, but out of curiosity, do you have any quick uh, words on the whole Uber topic? Yeah, we're studying that issue now. You know, it's a problem, or not a problem, a challenge that's facing every city in, in the world, yeah. really. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just yeah. North America, yeah, yeah. but it's the world, Paris, London. And uh, the reality is that it's a new technology that has disrupted uh, the, the traditional taxi industry. Mm-hmm. And the traditional taxi industry really, for many years, had somewhat of a monopoly on on the business and it was probably overregulated and very complicated with owners of plates versus brokers licenses and so on right and at the end of the day um you know our study is looking at well how do we accommodate um new and emerging technologies mm-hmm. and um how do we take the overregulated taxi industry and bring them down to a level and bring the uber type technology up to a level so yeah. there's some certain basics like a police check and insurance and right. things like mm-hmm. that right 
So, you know, is Uber here to say? Uh, it seems that it's certainly uh, entrenched and it's well-liked and well-used. Yeah. And uh, we have to adopt and adapt to the times. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And uh, my, my last one is uh, Museum of Science and Tech. Thoughts on, uh, on, I know you had made some comments in terms of the decision to renovate rather than rebuild. Yeah, my, my preference would be, you know, where the museum is now, uh, well, it's first of all, it's shut down now because yes, it's course. basically contaminated or yeah. condemned. Yeah. Um, but my preference would have been to have a new science and technology museum as a 2017 legacy gift for the country when Canada turns right. 150 mm-hmm. and place it at Le Breton Flats. Yeah. You know, right now it's off the beaten path of the tourism route on Saint Laurent Boulevard in a former bread factory of all things. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and it doesn't really sort of emit that signal that we're sort of a really, you know, cool, modern, you yeah. know, forward thinking, you know, innovative society. And we have a lot to be proud of in, in Canada. So, uh, you know, the government, the previous government decided they're going to renovate and make do with what they have because it would be cheaper. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if the new government's going to follow through with that. But, sure. um, you know, we're, we're too late to build it for 2017 because you're not going to build a science and tech museum in two years. Right. But uh, it was a lost opportunity, I think, in many ways. And it could have been a great legacy project for the city and for the country. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, well, Mayor Watson, that might be a good thing to end on is 2017. I know yeah. the city of Ottawa is pushing really hard for an amazing 2017. Can you tell us maybe your your dream plans for what 2017 will look like for Ottawa? Sure. We've worked very hard over the last couple of years to, to set up a, a process and a, a working group that's actually putting together uh, a great year that mm-hmm. will go from you know, the end of, uh, December 31st, 2016, you know, to December 31st, 2017. And, uh, we have a very creative group of people. We've got funding now secured from the city of Ottawa. Uh, we're working with the other two levels of government and private sponsors. And we've already announced a number of really exciting initiatives. The Juno Awards are coming right, back yeah, to Ottawa, yeah, right. which is going to be great, but we want it to be more than just the concert on April 2nd at the Canadian Tire Center. We want it to be a, a week-long celebration of Canadian music and pubs, bars, schools, uh, everywhere else. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got the Canadian Video Game Awards uh, coming to Ottawa as well in Great. 2017. Uh, the Roar of the Rings Curling Tournament, the Canadian uh, Canoe Kayaking Championships, the Canadian Track and Field Championships, <laughs> a number of major um uh, conferences that are going to fill hotel rooms and, and so on. Yeah. And we've, we're working on a number of really big marquee events, uh, yeah. things like the Juno Awards. We're in discussions with the CFL to get the Grey Cup here in 2017. Right. Oh, wow. that would be great. And then uh, also to get an NHL Outdoor Classic uh, that yeah, would most probably yes. would be at, at Lansdowne. Right. Right. And the reason it's significant is because the very first NHL game in history took place in December 1917 right. in Ottawa. Between huh. the Canadians right. and the Senators. Oh, that's right. And um, that would be amazing to end the wow, year, yeah. our, our yeah. 150th year as a country, to celebrate the 100th anniversary of the uh, NHL. It's sure. the 125th anniversary of the Stanley Cup, mm-hmm. and it's the 25th anniversary of the Senators. Right. So 2017 <laughs> is a big year for those significant yeah. anniversaries. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we would put the seat, extra seats up for the Grey Cup keep them up for a couple of weeks, install the rink and have mm-hmm. the outdoor classic with, you know, 40 or 45,000 people at Lansdowne, which right. would be pretty amazing. So there's no question there's, you know, and it's not just big events. We want communities to get involved. You know, course, what can yeah. the restaurant industry do? You know, I'm 
I suggest that, you know, maybe we have a special $20 and 17 cent dish on every <laughs> <Yes>. menu that, <laughs> you know, people would come and enjoy Canadian cuisine. Um, but you know, what can we do in terms of, uh, local communities? How can they celebrate? Yep. And, uh, there's lots of information on the website, uh, 2017, uh, Ottawa2017.ca. Okay. And, um, you know, we're, we're very excited about uh, the prospects of some other big blockbuster events that we're going to announce in the months ahead too. That's awesome. Very Fantastic. exciting. Well, I believe that is our time yeah. uh, with the mayor today. <clears throat> I want to thank you so much for taking time yes. out of your schedule to, to meet with us. My pleasure. And right. Ottawa.